Hey everyone, welcome to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast, a podcast dedicated towards helping you stay healthy so you can stay on the golf course and not in the clubhouse. We will be covering all things golf, from fitness, performance, injury recovery, instruction, and everything else in between. I am your host, Dr. Russ Manalastis. I am a board-certified sports physical therapist and strength coach based out of Rochester, New York. Our goal with this podcast is to help you play your best golf yet while doing so without limitations. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Russ. Today, we're really glad to be joined by Dr. Stephen Gonzalez. He's a close friend of ours, and we're happy to have him on the show. Dr. Gonzalez is a certified mental performance coach and consultant. He's also the assistant athletic director for leadership and mental performance at Dartmouth College. Dr. G, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Russ. I really appreciate it. You got it. So, you know, before we kind of dive into our conversation, maybe kind of tell us a little bit about your background education, which I know is pretty vast, uh, your journey into the realm of, uh, you know, mental coaching and mental performance, and how you end up landing with Dartmouth College. Yeah, so uh, I grew up in uh, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which is uh, about 60, 65 miles to the to the east of Pittsburgh. So I grew up in uh, Laurel, uh, Laurel Mountain area. And um, so it was, you know, sports are inevitably um, a part of, of, you know, Western Pennsylvania culture, um, in particular football. I wasn't allowed to play football because both my parents uh, worked at the local hospital and they, they weren't, even then they were, they were pretty hesitant on the concussion thing, but I did sure. convince them to let me play hockey, which okay. blew my mind, but hey, <laughs> I could at least play hockey. So, and, and that was, that was a cool time growing up because, you know, early nineties, you, you saw the, the Penguins win the Stanley cup back to back. That was huge with Yager and the Mew and, yeah. and, and Johnstown, Pennsylvania is where the movie Slapshot was filmed. So yeah hockey is just a big, it's just a big part of, of Johnstown in addition to football. And, uh, so I actually, um, you know, growing up, I, I loved hockey, but I loved all sports. And, um, I remember, you know, uh, picking up golf because my, my uh, neighbor down the street was, was a big golfer and we, you know, we grew up together. He's known me since we were three years old. So he's, he's known me the longest anybody outside of my family has ever known me. And, uh, (laughs) across the, across the way from us, we had a, uh, we had a orthopedic surgeon who retired and, uh, he had this like couple acres behind the houses that were across the street from me. So, and he, he was big on like the kids just in the neighborhood. Like, Hey, if you wanted, like, it was our own personal sandlot, so to speak, like if you guys want to play, um, go do it. The only thing I ask is when you're old enough. And this is like, you know, when we were little, but he was like, you know, once you guys become teenagers, if you guys don't mind getting the tractor out of the uh, barn and um, mowing it, you know, you guys can play, do whatever you want. I'm like, that's awesome. Great. But he had a, uh, he had a pin in the corner of the lot and it was, it was probably 110 yards or something like that. Okay. So I would, I remember the first time, I mean, my I, Tiger Woods inspired me, you know, like sure. he made golf cool. Yeah. So I remember being a teenager and, you know, seeing this guy, you know, fist pumping and just making people go crazy. And you're like, oh, this is, this is cool. So I, um, I ended up, uh, you know, picking up the game of golf in addition to playing hockey and, and everything and, and just enjoyed it. But I, I learned from Dr. Wheeling. He was, he was the guy who taught me. He, was, he would stand in his window and drink coffee and he'd see these kids just like hacking, you know, and I think he got so frustrated. He was like, fine. And he, Next thing I know, he's out there and he's giving me golf lessons. And I mean, nice. it, it was awesome. I mean, so I learned the game from him yeah. and that was cool. But, um, you know, my, my love of sports, I, I, I just, I, I really wanted to get better. And um, so I, I thought, hey, you know, you got to, running's hard, so do that. And that's going to make you better conditioned and stuff. And yeah. so I ended up uh, 
picking up running just to get in better shape to be a you know better hockey player. And it turned out I got I got fast, so I, I ended up uh, finishing third in the state of Pennsylvania in the two mile. Nice. And I uh, got a whole bunch of college offers and whatnot. And I accepted a scholarship to run at the University of Pittsburgh. So I uh, went to Pitt and um, spent my four years there. I ended up majoring in psychology. And, and one of the things that helped me grow as an athlete was reading a book called Running Within, which was a book that I picked up at, at the beach when I was on vacation with my family. And I was uh, finishing freshman year of high school and, and going into sophomore year. And I had a pretty good year as a freshman. But, you know, I, I, you know, I had anxiety and, you know, I was dealing with pressure. And, you know, as I got better, you know, people expected more of me, right? And so I read this book and it was incredible because it, it helped me calm my nerves. It helped me visualize. It helped me set goals. You know, all the things that mental training does, like sure. this was a really good way that applied it to running. And, you know, I, I ended up being a multi-time conference champion from the time I was a sophomore all the way to, to senior year. Awesome. Um, set records and everything. And that's what got me to Pitt. So I remember being at Pitt, wondering what I want to do with my life. And I really thought, man, sports psych seems like a really great thing. So I ended up um, leaving Pitt after I graduated to uh, do my master's degree at Georgia Southern University um, near Savannah, Georgia. And actually got, because of my golf background, which was very limited, my graduate assistantship was to be a phys ed teacher for various phys ed classes, because there's a requirement in the state of Georgia, you have to take and pass two physical fitness classes to get a degree. So they needed somebody to teach golf. So I, I was like, I mean, I've, I've played a little bit and they're like, all right, you're teaching golf. So I'm out at the driving range, you know, teaching these kids. And uh, so I taught beginner and intermediate golf. And I, I got like six plus hours a week at the driving range. And I ended up getting to like a nine handicap by the time I left Georgia. Like I, it was, it was awesome. Um, but so I, it was cool to, you know, it was, it was cool to be down there. I mean, you know, golf's huge, obviously with the, with the masters and uh, the Georgia Southern golf team is actually really great. And I worked with a couple of their um, athletes when I was, this, uh, when I was getting trained in sports psych and mental nice. training down there. So I decided I wanted more um, and uh, decided to get my PhD and uh, went to the University of Utah, and uh, it was a great, great place to get my, my PhD. I got the chance to work with a lot of the big-time winter sports that are located out there, so got to work with um, some of the developmental athletes for U.S. Speed Skating and U.S. Ski and Snowboard Association and the Freestyle Aerial Program, nice. and, and yeah, so it was, it was a cool kind of um, multi-region educational background, but my, my passion to just figure out like how we can help people be better athletes, but also be better people as a result of it were the, were the two things that drove me. And, yeah. um, after that, I ended up uh, moving back to Georgia. never thought I would, but, and took a job as a government contractor working for the United States army. I mean, I was a performance expert, so I did a lot of mental training and resilience training with with the army. So I was down at uh, Fort Stewart, which is in Hinesville, Georgia, and again near Savannah. So it was nice to connect with people I knew from Savannah again, and then um, ended up uh, leaving there to take a faculty position at the College of Brockport, which is outside of Rochester, and was there for uh, four years, and you know really enjoyed my time. But uh, one of the things that I found myself doing more and more and more of, because I'm passionate about teaching and research, but I, I was doing a ton. I mean, I'm passionate about consulting. So I did a lot of work with the athletics department at uh, Brockport, a lot of work with uh, golfers in the area, I worked with one of the uh, state amateur champions from the region and, and got to work with him, which was, was great, really competitive guy, really enjoyed that experience. And then um, I worked with 
the um, RIT men's uh, hockey program, which is division one. And so I just found myself doing more and more of that in addition to being a full-time professor on the tenure track. And I have two little kids and I'm not spending too much time at home. And, you know, the opportunity to work full-time in athletics at the division one level became available at, at Dartmouth. And so I, I explored the opportunity. It ended up being um, a really good fit. I think, you know, it was, it was definitely a decision I wanted my family to make like, Hey, do you, what do you think of the area? You know, what, what do you think of this? And yeah. it, it ended up being a pretty good, I think, fit for all of us. So it's been a challenging year. I've been here a full year now, but obviously with a pandemic, it's really hard to make friends and uh, get your kids to socialize and kind of really, you know, settle in the community. I mean, we've made some pretty good strides and, and whatnot, but, you know, we're definitely looking forward to, as we all are, when this subsides and we can hopefully get more involved in our community and everything like that. So, but it's been, it's been a incredible journey, I think so far. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to, to, to meet a lot of really great people like yourself and uh, you know, the folks over at next level strength and conditioning when I was in the Rochester area yeah. and, and just, and, and, and most importantly, just connect with people who share your values. And, you know, I, I like to surround myself with, with people who push me to be better and, and push me to just want to constantly live my ethos. And, and I, I, I'm super thankful for, for, for that. And, you know, as I look where I'm at now, this is just an incredible opportunity. I mean, the Dartmouth student athletes are incredibly hardworking, very ambitious, and, uh, and they want to know why, you know, like they don't just want, they just don't want you to tell them what to do. Like they, they want to know why that's going to work. And it's super cool to have these really deep dives into the mind and, and how we can uh, have a healthy dose of motivation and how we can stay present and how we can set goals and, and encourage and hold each other accountable. It's, it's been really cool. So it's been a, it's, it's been, it's been a change because I'm not, you know, teaching, teaching. Right. Cause I, I do miss that aspect of, of what I did at Brockport. I, I do miss yeah. um, the classroom, but you know, when I teach the leadership Academy in the summertime and other things, I mean, I get to scratch that itch, which is cool, but, but yeah, that's, that's a long winded answer to the, to the <laughs> journey, but man, it's been, it, it's, it's been pretty cool. And I, I didn't want to miss any stops because you know, there's people everywhere you go that shape your life. Absolutely. And um, if you allow that to, to happen, and if you welcome people, and, and if you really reflect with, with a lens of gratitude, and, yeah. you know, everywhere I go, you know, the people, should they, should they find themselves listening to this? Thanks. You know, you, yeah. you, you had a huge role in my life, whether it was my running partner down in Georgia, Drew Rabin, pushing me on long runs when I didn't want to run hard anymore because I'm a retired division one athlete and I just don't care to, you know, um, you know, Nate, you know, uh, pushing me to lift weights again and stuff like that. It's, it's been, it's been so cool, you know, and, and I'm I'm super appreciative of of the people along the journey, but there's, there's a lot more to to do and I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, uh, where we can, where we can take humans, especially from the mental aspect, yeah. Uh, into the future. There's, there's some really cool things that are going to be going down that we're all going to, I think, pay attention to from just how do we push human beings, not just in sports, but also just in, in, in the aspect of the universe. And right. hopefully in our lifetime, we get to see a Mars landing and, and the, the mindset and the, the physical training and what people are going to have to do to get there yeah. is super exciting because we're going to learn a lot about Again, what are our limits and what can we do? And I think that's, that's what we all care about. So, and just to give the listeners some context, you know, um, so next level strength conditioning is where our office is located. And, 
you know, Nate Van Kalenberg, who's the owner, like he's always been about a team approach, right? Having the right team in place to ensure that the athletes here are getting the most out of their experience. And, you know, I remember when I signed on here and meeting with you and having that team collaborative approach of, you know, you know, the mental approach, the rehab approach or the injury recovery approach, but also the performance approach that Nate has got. And then Heather with massage therapy, mm-hmm. um, you know, having that approach is, I think, allows athletes to really feel like they're getting cared for. Right. And, you know, we put posts up all the time. Like if you're trying to be everything for everyone, you end up doing a disservice for them. Um, yeah. And as much as maybe we have a little bit of, you know, background in this or that, you know, there are reasons why you have people like yourself who are doing things at the pinnacle of what you're doing because you understand it. And I think clients, athletes, you know, golfers, if we're talking specifically about golf, you know, they would rather appreciate you say, hey, listen, I definitely think you should talk with Dr. G because he can offer a lot more insight than what I could potentially provide for you. And I think that team approach is amazing. And, you know, as much as we miss you here, right, we know that you're doing awesome things in Dartmouth and we're really, really, uh, we're, we're, we're happy to see you doing awesome. Yeah, well, I'm only, a, I'm not too far of a drive away. So right. you guys ever need me back, you know, all yeah. I'm asking for, maybe I'll, you know, sleep on your table in your office or something like that, <laughs> you, and, uh, you know, do a weekend uh, for, for you guys. But, yeah. you know, I, you, you, you hit on something I think is really important, which is, yeah, we look to people to be experts and specialists in what they do. But in order to comprehensively take care of a person who happens to be a good performer. And I think that, that that's what I always like to have as a caveat because people are who we're dealing with, human beings are right. who we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, the team approach is huge because there's a mental aspect, a sports medicine aspect, a physical training aspect to a lot of the, the places athletes are trying to go. And the more you can integrate and work together on things. And that's the thing at, at Dartmouth and our peak performance program you know, we have a nutritionist, we have a clinical psychologist, we have myself in leadership and mental performance, we have athletic training and sports medicine, we have massage therapy and integrated wellness, we have, you know, strength and conditioning uh, a specialist from a, and a variety of different perspectives on how they, uh, how they approach training and, and programming. And we, we look to sports science as well, where we're, we're taking a look at, all right, we have people wearing wearables, like, uh, you know, polar and, and uh, catapult and stuff, All right? What are we doing with this data and how can we, you know, maximize it? And it's not just, okay, here's a data point, but there's a nutritional aspect to that. There's a health aspect to that data point, And there's a mental aspect in that data point, not just this is physically what they were able to do today. Right. And the more you can communicate and talk and figure that out. I mean, that's why I think some of the really successful people you see on tour today, they're, they have a team behind them. I mean, you know, I think golf has been really great to the field of sports psychology and mental training because these were this is one of the first areas where widespread adaption to my service area yeah. really came about. And but now, I mean, gosh, you you go to a you know you go to a tour event and you you see people on the range. I mean, you you got a chiropractor, physical therapist, uh, you know, whomever on in the sports medicine side. You see a mental coach. Yeah. You know, you, you sometimes you'll. I mean. They, they, they have a nutritionist who happens to, you know, also be a chef, you know, so they have somebody preparing meals and everything. I mean, it's, right. it's quite the, I mean, it's quite the undertaking, but, you know, to have sustained excellence, I mean, I think it's important to, the more you can involve that, the better. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you look, you look on tour, like, you know, again, the amount of people they have with them, it's pretty profound, but I think ultimately the athlete understands that that approach is what works best for them. 
Mm -hmm. And there might be an athlete that might just have maybe one or two people and that's okay too, right? It ultimately comes down to what works best for them and what they feel they're getting the most out of. And, you know, I think that is an important concept too, right? You know, the, the more you understand how best an athlete performs or how best an athlete responds to whatever, um, that can go a long way in helping them at least get to where they want to be. And I think uh, when you said that, it reminded me of, it is important to know what works for you. And look, you can over-science people, I think, too. Oh, yeah. There is a balance. Yeah. I remember being down uh, at Endicott for the senior PGA Tour. Well, PGA Tour champions is what it's yeah. branded as now. Yeah. And seeing uh, Jimenez do his uh, classic warm-up where he's uh, <laughs> doing knee circles yeah. and uh, using his club to like do like a calf stretch and stuff. Yeah. And I, I swear to you, I, I actually, just because I'm fascinated by the guy. First, you know, my Spanish background, he's a Spanish. <laughs> Right. You know, here's this old dude with a ponytail, smoking stogies. You know, he's got to be a candidate for most interesting man in the world, right? No and um, so I'm watching him warm up. And I, I'm not kidding. I, I counted. He would hit a certain amount of shots. I want to say it was like seven or eight shots with each club. And then after he was done hitting like seven iron, he'd put it on the bag. He'd bend down take a drag off the cigar, put it back down and then hit like seven or eight more. I'm watching this guy's, you know, range routine. And I'm like, this dude literally hits seven, eight balls per club and then bends down and, and hits the cigar. And I'm like, and you know, he's, he's competitive. Like you, when you right. see him play a major against, you know, anybody, you know, right. younger 20 year olds just out of college or, you know, your, your perennial uh, powerhouses yeah. like Phil and Tiger and stuff. Right. I mean, he's still holding his own, you know, right. and, and, and he's, he's well into his, I don't know if he's 60 or not, but I, I know he's like at least late fifties, right? right? Maybe early sixties. And I mean, him, Bernard Langer, I mean, these are, these are right. older guys that are just like, man, when they show up at like Augusta, for example, I mean, they're usually within the top 20 on right. the first two to three days, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's incredible. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, in our, in our line of work too, like where we, we want to help people, um, it is important to respect where, you know, the, we try to try to stay out of the way and, right. and sometimes to be ethical, your, your business model is I want to work myself out of a job as quick as possible because I don't want you to depend on me. Correct. And, you know, again, bad business model, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's, it's the right thing to do. Yeah, so. absolutely. You know, you, you, the best way to kind of know that you're doing your job is when the person doesn't need you anymore, right? That's right that's a key part. And I think, unfortunately, when you look at the healthcare system, it's become a more of a dependent model. You know, people yeah. who are looking for help and are looking for some sort of guidance, like they feel like they need to be fixed. And, um, you know, that can mean a number of different things. And that's a huge, I mean, that's enough time for another conversation. That's right. That's right. You know, I think, you know, that type of system where people feel like they're broken, they feel like they need someone to put them back together. You know, that's not that resilient mindset that we're looking for, right? We want people to understand like the body is very resilient. The mind is very resilient. And if you put the right plan in place, that can go a long way in people understanding, hey, I can get this under control. I can feel like I'm moving better or performing better, whatever that may be for that person. And that's hopefully why we're doing what we're doing, right? This is why we're in our line of work is to, to promote some of that self-efficacy, to promote some of that independence so that at some point in time, they, that it, clicks, it clicks for them and then they can move forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's do this, Dr. G. You know, I, I know you've worked with a, a lot of golfers and obviously, um, you know, when it comes to your background of, of you, know, you know, mental coaching, maybe kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, what your approach is when it comes to, you know, what are some of the things that you see golfers struggle with most when it comes to maybe the mental aspect of the sport? Because let's be real, golf is such a mental sport. 
you're thinking about all these positions and I got to do this with my knee. I got to turn here. I got to make impact here. Sometimes people have a tendency to really overthink and overanalyze things and that can ultimately freeze them up when they're addressing the ball. So maybe kind of just speak upon, you know, what you feel, you know, in your work with golf athletes, like what do you feel they struggle with the most? Yeah. I, I mean, this is a, you know, this is a sport like many other sports where perfectionism really comes into play. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with striving to, to, to be as perfect as you can be. But we know that perfection is really hard. But I mean, think about what we're trying to do on like the range, for example, when you're trying to really dial in a distance and whatnot. I mean, you're trying to replicate human movement with as little difference, at swing after swing after swing. Right. So of course, they're going to be really, really conscientious of the you know, the multitude of things, head position, you know, foot position, where their hands are at certain phases of the swing, you know, it's, and the fact that because of the nature of the sport, as a fan of the sport, if you're watching it on television, you know, that the analysts will put shot tracer on, and then they'll show you slow motion, draw the lines, you know, almost go through a biomechanical analysis of things. And again, if you're the average golfer sitting at home at, you know, Try, is trying to you know make some moves in your in your league or something like that on, right. on Tuesday night. You're like, all right, he does this, so I need. And it's like, no, no, no. You know, you're you're adding too much. And yeah. So I, I think that there's. So I mentioned that perfectionism because you know it's it's hard to make a sweeping generalization, but I think one of the hardest things is, is letting go. There there's gonna be there's gonna be situations where you kind of got to give what the course gives you. And, and just really appreciate what, what you're capable of, of getting out of the course that day. And I know there's some people that are like, you know, I got I to gotta shoot low. And, and, and I think there's nothing wrong with wanting that as an outcome. Right. But if you're not taking what the course has given you, and, and this is an inherently unfair game in the sense that, you know, I could have a morning tea time and the wind can be pretty low. And, you know, the, there could be a lot of cloud cover. So the green is holding some of these approach shots and right. stuff. But then yeah. all of a sudden wind picks up, which dries out the grass and the sun's out. And, you know, now, I mean, we're, we're talking the ball. I mean, the, the greens are rolling faster in the, in, the, in the afternoon than they were in the morning. And what yeah. could be an aggressive shot in the morning, it, it could, be, could be a really poor decision, you know, later on in the afternoon. And, yeah. and the thing is, is a lot of people get caught up in that because and we want sport to be as fair as it possibly can be. And, and I'm all about that. But Mother Nature is not fair. She does not care. And, and I think, you know, really, how do, I, how do I adapt to the conditions that I'm given and really work with what the course has given me? I, I think that that's a really, really hard thing for a lot of golfers to just accept. And, you know, when I was training early on in graduate school, somebody once said, you know, you got to convince golfers that they're not in control of their score. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, and like, <laughs> how is that possible? You know, and it's like, why would you play that game? You know, but it's literally, I mean, you have control through impact. And then at that point, it, it's completely out of your control. And you never know when somebody accidentally left a rake in the wrong spot or, you know, the classic seagull um, picks up the, the ball and puts it in the lake. I mean, there's so many things that, that happen after you make contact that, I mean, I remember several years ago watching Tiger try to make a run at the Masters and he was on 15 and he hit the flag stick and it went in the water, you know, and, and, and then he dropped and then there was the controversy. Did he drop in the right place? And a fan called in. And, but the point is, is it's like he hit the flag, like he couldn't have been more accurate. Right. right. And, and he, he was punished for that. Right. So I think it's, you know, really 
compartmentalizing each shot is its own, not allowing this need to do something to force you to play what, what you're not getting because you could do more damage than good trying to be yeah. too aggressive. And, and I think, you know, the, the more you can not allow one misstep to cause an avalanche, you know, just because you take one misstep on a mountain that does not have to be catastrophic and right. but you have control over that. And, yeah. and I really want um, the golfers that I work with, that, that's, that's an area that I see that's, that's a very hard thing to, to, to understand, but yeah you have to have these conversations. You got to understand what is a metric of success for them. And, and, and really how, how are they responding to these situations? Because usually it's not until a couple of bad shots, then you see a blow up. You've been suppressing these yeah. warning signs of how you're doing for quite some time. So I think sure. it's, you know, it, it, all those aspects I think are some of the more common areas that I've, been helping a lot of at least some of the more seasoned golfers sure. uh, when it's younger I think it's they have so many swing thoughts it's just simplifying their swing thoughts and helping them through having a, a, a better routine yeah. not just pre-shot but also post-shot yeah. I think it's a huge area that people don't don't utilize sure and and keeping things really really simple because if you don't then you you just you're at the mercy and you know, your, your buddies are going to give you advice as to how to swing. I mean, it's, it's just a downward spiral. Right, now, right. You know? And it's like, I'm not even teeing off. Forget it. You know, right. it's like, <laughs> give it them all together. Let's, you know, let's, let's, uh, you know, let's, let's keep it simple and try to figure these things out. And I know like for me personally, like I need to, I need to square at impact. So I always, I'm a lefty. So, um, you know, I, I had a golf pro once tell me, try to hit over the second baseman's head. And that swing thought has, I mean, not only did it, do I have more square impact, but I mean, my gosh, my, my yardage increased on all my clubs and I'm just way more consistent, but it's sure. just like, you know, if I know I'm not, you know, if I'm spraying left or right, generally it's because I'm just not following through with that aspect of my swing tempo right. and it fixes it. So it, for the beginners, it's, let's, let's really get a couple of anchors that you can just go to. Yeah. To, to continue to learn the game but when you get more advanced it, then it becomes you know some of the earlier parts that i mentioned yeah so you know kind of you know, i think this is a good segue where you know maybe you can kind of give us a breakdown you know and again i, I understand that you know we want we don't want to just generalize because i think every right. individual person has individual needs and different things that maybe work for them but maybe kind of just take take us through maybe a little bit of your assessment process when you're maybe first consulting with a golf athlete and you're trying to figure out you know what's the best thing that's going to work for them and trying to figure out, Hey, here are some things that we can implement early on so that we can move forward and then kind of progress from there. Yeah. I, you know, I, first it starts with, with a conversation of, you know, Hey, tell me about, tell me about your game. How'd you get started? Why do you love it? You know, what, what are the, you know, what are your goals and, and what's your, what's your definition of success? And once you get that, you, you get an idea of potentially what's causing some friction for that person. Because, you know, if you, if you have too rigid of a definition of success or, you know, your, your goals are, are, are not really in line with where you currently are and you're not building an infrastructure to raise the bar, yeah. that, that right there can tell you a lot of somebody's, of, of somebody's frustrations and psyche. Right. But once I get an, ass, an, an, an area, uh, really an assessment of that, I think it's important then to, what I like to do is ask them, all right, tell me some situations you struggle with. And, or if you, if, if your game's a puzzle, what pieces are missing? And, and those just get them to, to open up a little bit. And I, I know that I had a golfer not too long ago where one of the things that they mentioned 
question, for example, was this, uh, this pressure that they felt after making bogey that they had to get it back. And this is somebody, you know, trying to, trying to play amateur tour, right? So, so really solid golfer and, uh, and just once, once the bogeys start coming, I mean, it's, it's hard to, to get off of that. And, sure. and they're not a bogey golfer. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're a solid golfer. Yeah. And, so we talk about, well, what's that like after you make bogey? And well, you know, I, I start to get pretty nervous and you know, I get to the next tee box and I'm having a hard time letting go. And it's like, okay, well, let's, you know, let, let's, let's take a look at, you know, how we, how we adapt with that. And usually, I mean, I like to be on the range and watch them swing and, and talk about their thought process and stuff. I try to challenge them a little bit. Sure. Um, sometimes I'll walk some holes with golfers too and take a look. So what I like is, you know, th- this golfer that's a bogey golfer, when it's not competition, he's, I mean, he, he's incredible. And I just remember the one time, you know, we're in the middle of the fairway and I kicked his ball into a divot and I stepped on it. And he goes, what'd you do that for? And I'm like, well, you know, you've made three birdies in a row. It's time to, it's time to do some adversity. Let's see what you can do. And, you know, he's, he's like kind of fighting me about the unfairness of that. And I'm like, well, what if this happens in a competition? Like, I'm, right. I'm like, you, you, you know, you, we got to work on your mentality here. Right. Or, uh, you know, he, and he found a way to recover there, which was great. So then I made him do 10 push-ups and gave him 30 seconds to hit his tee shot after finishing 10 push-ups to get his heart rate up and get a little tingly feeling in his arms. Yeah. And I'm like, I want to see, do you, can you legitimately get through your pre-shot routine? Does it actually settle you? Or is it just this rhythmic thing that you do because you see a tour player do it and right. stuff? So I, I try to purposefully you know, mess with people in practice and try to elicit some of these responses to, to work with it. Right. And, and, and so that's, it's, it starts with simple conversations, trying to understand the, the person, why they care about this game, you know, what, what their, what, what their goals are, what their definition of success is, where their deficiencies are. And then, you know, really, hey, it's one thing that's talking in an office about what to do. It's another thing to actually be out there and, right. and get the, get them in the, the habitat that they, that they exist in, you know, right. and, 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 and really get them to uh, deal with some challenges and be there to help talk them through it and work on some strategies, whether it's breathing or implementing this type of routine or, or whatever it is to, to, to really get them to make the connections from, all right, this is what we want to theoretically do. And yeah. are we actually making it happen? Nice. And I think too, like, that's so important. Like being under stress, whether it be physically or mentally, like, and then being able to adapt to that based on the situation and then have them be successful that like, those are wins. Right. And, yep. you know, like you talked about your, their definition of success might not necessarily line up with where they are currently, but you know, obviously you're putting a plan in place to get them to that point. So that's really, really, I think it's really cool to kind of see the whole thought process of how you're approaching an athlete and how best to get them to where they want to be. Yeah. And yeah, again, we're, we're, we really want to meet athletes where they're at. It's, it's not uncommon that I have people who come to me that have seen other people in my, in my profession. Sure. And uh, for whatever reason, it just didn't jive or work well. Right. So I'm not going to give you a, this is the standard protocol of how to deal with this. I mean, everybody is different and, and yeah. you know, different cues or different images or different uh, analogies are really going to help that person maybe more than, than another person. And, right. and it's important to just spend some time with that person to, to get them to get them understanding that. And, and I think, you know, the more you, you, you do that and you don't just try to do this, here's a typical mental training plan. Like, all right, we're going to start with this and go to this. I mean, some people have certain aspects already down, right. you know, and it's like, right. all right, let's, 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 I think this is the area we really need to hone in on. And it's, it's, 
I mean, I've seen people have success with that approach and, you know, and appreciate that approach. And, and philosophically, that's, that's just what I believe is let's meet people where they are. And, yeah. and let's, let's appreciate the fact that people are experts on themselves. Right. Right. So right. we could, we could, you could do a physical examination on somebody, right, Russ? And, yeah. and, and be like, all right, good range of motion and stuff, but they're like in this really bad pain. Well, you know, they, they, they are experiencing pain. That's their reality. Let's, let's meet them where they are and try to figure that out, you know? Yeah. So um, same thing with me, you know, they, all right, they, they say they do this. Okay. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and let's, let's take a look at this. And you know, it's, it's, it's just a constant process of, of really trying to tweak and, and, and get people to on a consistent plan towards one, enjoying what they're doing. I mean, yeah. that's the thing I care most about. I really want you to have fun right. and, and, and have good well-being while you're doing this. Right. And, and yeah, of course, I want you to perform better, but I, I need you to have some fun. And, and sure. my first job as a kid, I forgot to mention this, was I was a caddy. So my first job when I was 13 in the state of Pennsylvania or Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, you can be a caddy at 13. <laughs> so uh, I had to go to the county to like get a work paper because there's a lot of <laughs> Amish families in Pennsylvania. So like 13-year-old kids are working on farms, right? right. So, so I, I, I uh, carry bags at Sunny Hannah Country Club and that's the home of the Sunny Hannah Amateur which is one of the biggest amateur golf tournaments Ricky Fowler won it I mean name name a great player they've played at Sunny Hannah when you walk into the clubhouse and stuff and you know so I always tell you know my clients it's like I caddied here give me your bag what I'll carry your bag you know let's let's talk and walk and you know I'll pull pins and rake rake bunkers I don't care you know like and and it's you know, it, and it's, it's usually a fun experience. And, and I've had clients who are playing tournament golf that want me to caddy for them, you know, right. want me there for them for that. And that, yeah, we, you know, sometimes I do that. So That's it's, awesome. it really depends on, again, what their needs are and how involved they're comfortable with me being. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's a badge of honor in a weird way. Like, you know, there's this stigma around psychology and sometimes I'm on a range with somebody and, you know, they, their buddy walks up and they're like, oh yeah, I want you to meet my, uh, my, my, my mental guy, you know? And, and I'm like, oh, nice to meet you. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm never, you know, I'm, I don't like to disclose clients' names unless yeah. they want to yeah. talk about me. Right. I, you know, I, I, I want to protect people and they're, yeah. you know, it's not about me, right. you know, it's definitely not about me. And, right. uh, but it's, it's kind of funny cause it's like, wow, we've come a long way where it's like <laughs> right. badge of honor. It's like, yeah, I got this mental guy with me. Right, right. And, right. and I don't know if that's to like put fear in, in his buddy, like I'm coming for you or, or whatever, but it's kind of like, it's so funny that, you know, to, to, to see that. So it's been, it, and then some people are just like, you know, who's that guy? Oh, my, my brother-in-law or something, like <laughs> right. whatever, man, you know, whatever you need. I'm, Change I'm the subject. You know, happy to help. So. Right. Yeah. And I think too, you, you're seeing the, you're seeing the pendulum shift a little bit, right? You know, a lot of times, you know, back in the day, you know, when you talked about mental performance or mental training, you know, people are like, what, that, what, what are you talking about? Right. right. You know, do, do I need to sit on the couch and do this and just tell them my feelings? Like, no, that's not how it goes. And you know, obviously, you know, what you're doing and pioneering and doing the stuff that you're doing, it's allowed a little bit better conversation to show that this is, this needs to be integrated and it needs to be integrated for, you know, not only just golf or, or maybe even just college, but even across the lifespan when we talk, and we'll talk about this shortly, but even recreational golfers, you know, they, those are the people that play golf all the time and struggle with some of these things. They're the ones that need it just as much as the collegiate golfer who's, you know, looking to play at the next level. So, you know, maybe kind of talk about, you know, your integration, like how are you integrating, you know, some of your approach, whether it be with a collegiate athlete or a high school or a youth athlete, and then obviously looking at the, the, the other end of the spectrum, the recreational golfer, the, the middle-aged golfer, the senior golfer, you know, how are you integrating some of this stuff? Because I know you've done work on both ends of the spectrum there. So maybe how are you integrating some of your, your you know, 
mental approach to either pre-shot routine, post-shot routine. And, you know, it sounds like a lot of what we're doing is trying to compartmentalize, you know, be in the moment, try and do what you got to do and then move on and then try and go through that routine. So maybe kind of speak about that a little bit, Dr. G. Yeah. I, I mean, routines I think are important at any level for like an integration standpoint, because it is the thing that should anchor yourself. But the thing is, is like, we, we fail to realize like, yeah, there's a lot of physical movement with the routine, but there should be a psychological aspect as well. That kind of readies you, settles you and focuses you in addition to the the physical nation nature of what you're about to do. Right. And uh, you know, I always want to know like, all right, why do you, you know, why do you twirl a club there? Or why do you, you know, what's that do for you? You know? And I, I really want like, and that's like advanced, right? Versus, you know, if I'm, I'm working with a um, more beginner or recreational uh, golfer, it's kind of like, all right, what's your routine doing for you? And when things go wrong, which they inevitably will, right. are you comfortable committing to it? And, and what are your struggles? You know, how, why do you abandon it so quickly and stuff? Because if we want to have lower scores, I mean, it's all about just having consistency with your approach and um, making sure that you know, you have as simple as possible swing thoughts and, and good mechanics. And if, and yeah. if you do those things, I mean, you know, things, things take off. And, and I know, you know, people, it's funny too, because golf can, can become this arms race of, you know, who has the best driver, the best putter, you know, this, that, the other thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, it's, you can play really, really great golf with any clubs provided, you know, you make good contact and, right. and, you know, you're, you're square at uh, impact and, yeah. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're doing, you're, you're doing things efficiently to, to, yeah. to have lower scores and, yeah. you know, for the, for the person trying to find a solution, it, it's really hard. So, I mean, like from an integration standpoint of like working on routines I mean, talking about them, write them out and then walking through them at the, uh, at the range. And one of the things that I do is I actually use a stopwatch and uh, I can tell if somebody's nervous, hesitant, or forcing things just by how I, I usually get a good baseline of how long it takes somebody to go through their, their routine. And uh, if they're off, you know, that's a conversation we can have. Huh. Okay. And all right, you, you took a lot longer to, to hit that ball compared to that one. What was going on, you know, and, and really it's, you got to commit and not hesitate and trust the trust your mechanics and where you're at and, and execute. And yeah. so just by looking at habits, you, you can see, and I do this with baseball pitchers, softball pitchers, bowlers, where, you know, there's a little bit of a, they have more control over the motion. It's not as reactionary as like, you know, it's hard to take a look at like how long it takes Leo Messi to take a free kick or something like that in soccer. Right, right, right. But, but, you know, I, I pay attention to those things because that, that, those behaviors really tell me a lot about potentially what could be going on. And then we can, we can talk about it and yeah. whether or not they're truly committed, comfortable. And it's funny because like, if you, if you're in between clubs, for example, and you need to carry water or carry some sort of hazard, people tend to club down and try to swing harder. That's usually the, the default, right? right? And, and when you watch somebody's routine, they tend to rush it, right? Because they're trying to be fast. fast. And when you swing harder, that sometimes messes with your mechanics. And if your mechanics are jacked, it's, you know, then, then game over. And, right. Right. and that's an example of, you know, Hey, you got, you got to pay attention to behaviors, mannerisms, and, and, and have those as data points to then talk about you know, the, what, what's going on. So when, when it comes to like implementing something like routines, you know, that's when it comes to like implementing breathing techniques and anxiety, like I said, I'll have people do some quick physical activity, push-ups, jumping jacks, something just to get the heart rate up. And it's like, all right, 30 seconds at this ball. And, and it gets them dealing with feeling uncomfortable 
and, and finding a way to kind of harness that mm -hmm. and, and, and work with it and realize that you don't have to be perfect. Like, I hope nobody thinks that they're that bad of an athlete where everything has to be perfect right. for them to be good. Right. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's something that uh, I was, I was, cause we're all starved for sports right now. I was recently watching the replay of the 2005 masters and, and, you know, if you can, if there's one shot everybody remembers from that, yeah. that, that day it's, yeah. it's tiger, uh, you know, chipping in on uh, 16 there. 16. And I mean, you know, incredible shot. And, you know, Chris DeMarco is just like, you know, you feel bad for the guy. But right. that, after tiger did that, he squandered, he, he made bogey on the next hole, And then it went to, it went to a playoff right. and tiger won in a playoff. So, you know, that everybody remembers that and, and, you know, and, but it's, yeah, I mean, I forgot about that. And right. I remember watching that and I was like, holy crap, he made that huge shot, then bogeyed and 17 at Augusta has always been a bad hole for him for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, he ended up going to, to extra holes with, with, uh, Chris DeMarco and right. he almost lost that masters. You know? right. that, that was, that was still, Hey, when Tiger has at least a shares in the lead going into a final round, he, he always wins and stuff, you know, that, that ended when, um, can't remember the golfer that, that in, I think it was the PGA, but uh championship when, when he, had, he ended up winning or had, had a uh, lead, but lost it. I think it was why Yang took him down. And that was the first time, you know, Tiger has ever, cause it's, it's intimidating, you know, right. but uh, you look at last masters, you know, when he has his glorious comeback and, and win and everything, I think it's funny because, you know, again, he hits that incredible shot on 16, almost hole in one, you know, and, right. and what was fascinating about that was, you know, Brooks Kepka is a really mentally tough guy. I, I, I respect Brooks Kepka's, Kepka's game. Yeah. He's in the group in front of Tiger and he's about to tee off on 17 and Tiger hits that tee shot and the cameras go to the tee box. Right. And as the crowd starts roaring and stuff, Kepka looked back and that's when I said to myself, he's got him. Yeah. You know, because I've never seen Kefka care right. about anything. He's usually the Terminator. He just shows right, up, right. and when he wins, I mean, it's it's dominating. He's an incredible talent, right. extremely, extremely strong, and stuff like that. And all these young guys are like, you know, I'd like Tiger in his prime, blah blah. But careful what you wish for, right? Because that right. that's what happened. But it was, you know, it's it's so interesting to see like, you know, how people handle. So think about like, uh, you know, we're talking about disappointment. Well, think about success as well, right? So. Right. Tiger has that incredible, you know, arguably one of the greatest golf shots of all time to hole in, on 16. You know, he's jacked up. Everybody's fired up. Gallery's going nuts and stuff like that. And then he's got to be able to decelerate on the next tee box to, yes. you know, not, you know, to not spray a drive and, and right. potentially squander what he just bought back for. Yes. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's both ends. You know, I, I think there's some really, the, the one thing about golf, that, that I always love and I hate at the same time is every time you play, I don't care if it's nine or 18 holes and I don't care how bad your day is. Everybody hits one shot that thinks that they can play on the tour. Right? <laughs> There's always that one shot that keeps you coming back. And it's, it's the, it's the worst, you know what I mean? Cause, <laughs> cause you're just like, damn this game. I don't want to play it anymore. Right. I hate it. You know? And then you just, you hit, the most ridiculous shot you've ever hit. And you're like, Oh man, you know, I'm, I'm back. I think, I, I, and I, I, when somebody once told me that I, I cracked up because it's so true. We all, it doesn't matter how bad your day is. We all have one shot that just makes us want to come back and, you know, think we can play on tour. So it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's such an interesting, you know, such an interesting game and an interesting mix of things. But, but yeah, you know, I, I think the more, the more we can think about 
this idea of meeting people where they are and, and this idea of integrating things. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta get out of the office. I, there's a quote from, um, it, it, look, it was a terrible movie because, you know, I, I, I think the original three were great, but uh, I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. My, sure. my minor, my minor in undergrad actually was anthropology. I was almost a double major because I loved archaeology, right? And and at one point I was like, dude, I want to be Indiana Jones. And then I realized it's not as cool. But <laughs> uh, but I I mean I, I have a lot of respect, you know, culture and artifacts and stuff, and that's that's really what got me to it. But there's uh, the crystal skull, so you know everybody hates it, and you know it wasn't it wasn't the best. I didn't think it was horrible, but it wasn't it wasn't great. Right. But there's one scene where he's on the motorcycle with Sheila Booth and they're trying to escape the KGB. They're like going, and it's filmed at Yale. So they're going through one of Yale's like famous buildings and stuff like that. And Sheila Booth uh, skids the motorcycle. So they're sliding through this uh, library section. All these people are at tables and stuff. Everybody's running and stuff. And then as they're trying to get up and, and go, the uh, you know, Harrison Ford's brushing himself off and the person's got a book and he goes, um, Dr. Jones, uh, I, I actually have a question. Would you say, and I can't remember what the nature of the question was, but as Indy gets back on the bike, he looks at everybody and he goes, if you want to be a great archaeologist, you got to get out of the library. You know, and I feel if you want to be a great sports psych professional, you got to get out of the office, right. you know, and, and that's, and, and, and as long as people are comfortable and stuff, but you got to watch people where they are in yeah. order to make these integrations happen because right. anybody can talk shop in an office, but to expect yeah. it to translate really, really hard. And that's why people practice really well, right. right? And it doesn't translate to a game. So that's just something, you know, I, 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 I love the fact that, you know, he's this like rogue, crazy professor and stuff like that. I, you know, maybe in another life, I, I, you know, I, I, I actually defended and propo proposed and defended master's thesis and dissertation in bow ties, just as an ode to Indiana Jones. <laughs> so um, it, it was, it was the best man. But yeah, when he said, if you want to be a good archeologist, you got to get out of the library. I'm well, like, think, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important, right? If, if you really truly want to know how an athlete or what you're doing is translating, then you need to be able to get out of the office. You need to be able to kind of see what they're doing and seeing them perform at the highest level so that if what you're implementing is working, then you're going to see it kind of materialize over, you know, over time. So I think that's really well, well said because, you know, as much as you want to implement something in the office, if you don't see that transit, well, then you need to figure out what you need to do to reassess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. So let's do this, Dr. G. Let's transition to our what's in the bag segment, right? So you know, a lot of our golf listeners like to kind of hear what our guests are swinging. So tell us what you got in the bag. So I have, so I'm a lefty. So clubs are, clubs are hard to come by. Same I wish, here, man. Sometimes I, hear you. I wish I was a righty and I could, you know, have my, my choosing of things. Right. But so I play uh, TaylorMade. So I have the Rocket Balls uh, Stage 2 Driver oh, wow. 3-Wood. I have the Rocket Blades Irons. So the, uh, and I like them because they're, they're, they're not quite blades, but they're not quite forged or um, cavity back. Cavity they're, they're a nice, they're a really nice uh, hybrid of that. Sure. And uh, cause I still like a little bit of feel. I mean, I'm not, I know my limitations. I, sure. I am not a blade golfer, you know, but nonetheless, <laughs> I, I really, when I, man, when I, when I hit those things, well, I mean, they're, they're, they're really great clubs and yeah. I, I really like them. Um, I have Titleist wedges and so Vokey wedges. And then I have, and, and, I mean, this, this is, it's kind of like, you know, the old Scotty Cameron for, for some people. I, I have my, one of my first real putters is a Odyssey dual force 660 from, oh, from the nineties and it's, co it's copper. It's got like a little rust on it and stuff, but I'll tell you what, I, I really stroke that thing well, but, but what, what, what's changed my game actually has been the super stroke, uh, 
grip. grip. I love having the oversized fat yeah. grip there. And I mean, I still putt really well with that thing. I mean, I'd love to get a new putter eventually, but it's that one. I just, Thank I, you just love that. I just love that thing, man. So Odyssey dual, dual force 660. That's, that's my, wow. that's my, that's my thing. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's what's great. in my bag. So. That's great, man. That's really cool. And again, like I said, a lot of people have, have transitioned to that super stroke grip and it's gone really well for them. You know, just that extra width there makes a huge difference for a lot of people. Quiets the hands for sure. Absolutely. So let's do this, Dr. G. Let's go to our shotgun round. So our shotgun round is we're going to ask you a bunch of golf-related questions. You're going to answer as quickly as you can. Okay, you ready? All right, man. Let's do our it. Favorite golfer. I think I know who this is. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's Tiger. I think uh, Sergio Garcia is a, a close second. My son's name is Sergio. Uh, listen, I had, a feel, I had a feeling you were going to kind of maybe bring that up there a bit. <laughs> uh, how about favorite golf brand for you? I, I really like uh, TaylorMade. I also like Callaway, though, but TaylorMade's my, my number one. Nice. What's your preferred drink or snack when you're playing? Big fan of the uh, the uh, cheese and peanut butter crackers. You know the the classic like <laughs> uh, Nabisco, whatever. You know, right. and, and you know I, I I'm gonna go. Uh, I mean I, I I like Diet Coke, man. You know I'm, okay. I'm a big. Uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to John Daly right there. There so. you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's your preference, par three or par five? I, I like uh, par threes just because I, I haven't had a hole in one. So I, I would really like to have one. And I know it's more possible there than, than a par five. <laughs> That's right. Par threes. <laughs> How about uh, Caddyshack or Happy Gilmore? Uh, Caddyshack. Favorite golf memory? Favorite golf memory for me, I did get the chance to go to the 2015 Masters. I, I got lottery cool. tickets for the practice round and, and it was awesome. And I'm actually, I was supposed to go this year, but obviously been postponed, but it's allegedly in november so november. You, know, you never know when you're going to get back but sitting at amen corner for two and a half hours and just taking it all in i mean i never thought i could stare at something that long other than my wife right. um so <laughs> but yeah it was it was awesome so that's that's incredible all right so who's someone you'd recommend we reach out to be a guest on the show Ooh, done a lot of work with uh, some of his clients but brian jacobs obviously is uh is, is a really great guy yeah. in the in the Rochester area, I think Brian would be a, a great guest. There's a guy named Frank Quattro down in Savannah, Georgia. He's okay. um, one of the assistant golf coaches at Savannah College of Art and Design. And he's one of the pros at, uh, or assistant pro at Weston Harbor Course, which has had a uh, Champions Tour nice. uh, stop and stuff. Okay. Really good guy. He's played Peach Belt Tour and stuff. He, he'd be cool. a really cool guy to have. All right, cool. We'll, we'll try and reach out to him and see if we can get him on. All right, so let's do this. Let's kind of wrap up with maybe some words of wisdom. You know, obviously, we, we, we covered, I think, a, a wide range of things on this, this episode. But you know, maybe for someone who's maybe kind of struggling with, you know, just let's say a pre-shot routine or something like that, or they can't get out of their head, what are maybe just some really, really easy things you can kind of provide um, just to listeners just to see what they can do to maybe kind of implement that in their practice right away? Yeah, first and foremost, um, the, it needs to start with breathing. Uh, you, you gotta, you gotta, and you gotta be really conscientious of having a rhythmic breath. So several seconds in several seconds out, the exhale is really important when it comes to getting the body to kind of calm down. Once you get the opportunity to take a couple of, uh, you know, very rhythmic breaths. Now you've, now you've allowed your body to decelerate a little bit and you're allowing your mind to kind of get the fog out so that you can think a little bit more clearly. And then I think having one, maybe two max swing thoughts that you just go to part of your three to four step pre-shot routine. Think of it like a checklist. You know, if, uh, if anytime you, you're about to do anything that's important, like 
you know, fly a plane or something like that. There's a checklist, right? I don't care how, you know, how many hours uh, commercial airliners fly. I mean, there, there's a pre-flight checklist and, yeah. uh, you know, so they, they go over every single time to make sure everything's ready to go and they know their emergency procedures and, and, and what to do in, in various situations. And, right. and that's why it's neat to see situations like the landing and the miracle in the Hudson with Sullenberger. I mean, that wasn't an accident. I right. Mean, he knew what he needed to do. He knew what the plane was giving him. He went through his the checklist in his mind of options and yeah. and stuck to something and executed. And I always like to use him as an example because what an incredible story and what an incredible uh, tale of of just excellence. And right. that's that's what we want people to be able to do with something as 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 less important in the grand scheme of things. Right. As, you know, your golf your golf your golf shot, right? So. Yeah, right. Breathe, allow the fog to clear, get the body to decelerate so that you're actually open to your checklist. Get into that and execute. Those would be my words of wisdom. That's awesome, man. Well, Dr. G, we really appreciate your time. For those who maybe want to learn more about what you're doing or maybe want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. On uh, Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Steve P. Gonzalez. So S-T-E-V-E, P is in Patrick, and then Gonzalez is G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z. And my website's stephen-gonzalez.com. So you can find, a, find out more about my work. You can drop a, drop a contact a box question or email and happy to, happy to help or answer any questions. And I'm always available for virtual consultation should somebody need me. So. Yeah. And just for listeners, you know, obviously Dr. G's done a lot of work with our athletes and he's been a wealth of knowledge and he's really helped, you know, a lot of our athletes and clients kind of get back to where they were pre-injuries. So uh, we can't recommend him highly enough, I guess the best way to put it. So um, what we'll do, Dr. G's, we'll put all the contact information in the show notes and then thanks so much again. You know, thanks for the listeners for listening to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast and we'll catch you on the next one. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Russ. See ya. You got it. Hey everyone, thanks so much again for listening to this week's episode of the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. If you enjoy the content of this show, we would love it if you would leave an iTunes review to help us grow and expand our ability to provide you with the golf information you are seeking. If you're listening to this show and are dealing with aches, pains, or issues from golf that haven't been resolved, or you're not exactly sure where to turn, then let us know how we can help. Whether you are local or not, you can work directly with us through our pain-free golf performance program, which is completely virtual and online. This program is customized to you and your goals of playing your best golf yet. We would assess how well you move to give us a baseline of what you can do, and then based on that assessment, come up with a training program best suited for you. We are offering a special podcast promotion, which gives you access to our program at a reduced rate. You can inquire by going to manaperformancetherapy.com forward slash pain-free golf. Again, MANA is spelled M-A-N-A. So it's manaperformancetherapy.com forward slash painfree golf and use the promo code podcast when inquiring so we can help you feel better and play better golf. Be sure to tune into next week's episode and we'll catch you then.